So welcome to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris Wilkins and Elizabeth Hefner. We're going to take a look at a lot of things going on in health and fitness today, and we're going to decide whether or not they're actually useful, whether they apply to you, or whether they're really taking you in the wrong direction. So over a decade of coaching, clients led me to believe that the only way for people to experience lasting change is for them to understand their habits and systems they have currently in place and move from there. I apply a scientific approach to that. We change a thing. We look at how it works. We decide if it's working or not, and then we change something else and we repeat. You can't just coach one aspect of health and fitness. You have to coach them all at once. Welcome. Join us on another wonderful week of wellness where we talk about everything and the joy of living and our latest goop product that we tried out. I prefer the jade egg vagina thing. I knew it was going to be a vagina thing. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm what else so is sure. there? <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, I feel like it's the unexplored portal at this point of, you know, like where we can stuff wellness. That's hysterical. Yeah. Sometimes I bash myself in the face with a rock and it just feels so grounding and cleansing at the same time while the blood now, pours out of my skull. I think it's actually because washing machines don't vibrate anymore. Oh, really? Because <laughs> mine really. My well, I just got this new one. It just sits there. It's really disappointing. I mean, not that sounds terrible. <laughs> I haven't tried it. But you know, I did think about it. I was like when I realized it was so disappointing machine. when I bought it and I was like <laughs> And I called up and I turned into a full-blown Karen and I called up the washing machine people and I was like, excuse me, sir. (laughs) Wow. What a way to start today. Well, you say you want to gold. We did say fitness gold. I mean, I don't know if it gets better than that. Um, You know, we're talking about wellness. Well, you know, I was actually reading this article yesterday that I thought was quite interesting. And I, I was talking with your sister about it, with Trisha about it this morning a little bit. And it was this idea of how quarantine and COVID is affecting the fitness industry. And, you know, there's tons of gym closures and there's all of this stuff happening and all of the diehard fitness people, you know, went through their initial freak out and bought all the equipment and started doing high intensity stuff at home. And I was watching one of the CrossFit boxes that I used to work for. I did this really cool thing where they were actually zooming everybody in and they were doing these um, like live workouts with everybody at their house. And, you know, people come up with some really creative ways to continue the status quo. Um, but this article was saying, basically, there's been this other effect of quarantine, which is this return to just movement because movement is nice instead oh. of movement as a form of torture. And, and more and more people, it's actually created more people who are wanting to move their bodies and exercise in a, like, non-structured way than fitness was managing to do. And I thought it was really cool. I anticipated everyone was just, well, I'm just going to sit on my ass and drink beer because fuck you and this world sucks now. Right. But what actually happened is duration mattered a lot because if it had just been a month, I think there would have been, you know, a percentage of people who kept up their regular fitness routines and it was awesome. But everybody had to deal with this whole loss pattern of like, oh, it's going to be fine. Everything is cool. You know, like denial. And then we were like, oh, well, maybe it's not like cool right now. And now I'm really (laughs) depressed. And now I'm sitting on the couch and eating a bunch of chips because what am I going to do with my life? And then it was like, oh God, I'm still here. I can't keep doing this either. Because this doesn't feel good. (laughs) Because like, (laughs) oh. Um, And so it's been interesting to watch that all unfold. It's, you know, fairly predictable pattern. But what it means is that people are remembering that like exercise doesn't have to be a one hour 
a day sweat fest. Yeah. Um, where it's just, well, this sucks and I have to get through it. It can actually be, oh, this feels good. And like, I'm taking care of my physical, but also my mental health. Yes. And there's such a huge component of mental health to movement. You know, I was, Trisha and I were talking, cause you know, she, for our listeners, uh, Liz's sister lives in Costa Rica currently and has had to face the challenges of um, a less convenient lifestyle and how movement is just built into existence in a different way. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we talk a lot about that when, when she and I talk about like, how do you shape your environment to help you improve? And I lived in France for a decade or thereabouts, and I didn't have a car for much of it. And it wasn't that like walking everywhere was the most fun I'd ever had all the time. There were definitely mornings I woke up and I was like, Ugh, I can't believe I have to walk to work. Like it's cold. I don't want to do it. But pretty much systematically, by the time I would get to work in the morning, I was really alert and I was like ready for my day. And I, I just felt better, even though I wasn't looking forward to that movement, I had to do it and, and having to do it triggered all that good chemical response in my brain of like reward for having done it. And, you know, your body really does affect your, your physical, or sorry, no, your, your mental state. Yeah, it really does. And I remember that after I work out or during when I'm, when I'm working out and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this kind (laughs) of helps me get out of my wallow of depression. But then later on, I'm like, you know, after I haven't been working out for a couple of days and then I'm like, yeah, eh, it's not that important, is it? Right. Isn't it funny how your brain will try to maintain the status quo, whatever that is, like yes. whatever it is. Yes. Like sitting no, in my anti-anxiety chamber that I full-blown went ahead and made. Did you? Can I see I it? Did. I know nobody um, else can see it, but I want to see it if I can. I will take a picture of it for you okay. because I'm have I'm hooked up to all sorts of wires. <laughs> I will take a picture of it. Basically, it's my, you know, my closet. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a futon mat thing put down and then a bunch of like pillows with like the fuzzy faux fur thing and then like another loungy pillow thing and a weighted blanket now. (gasps) A 20 pound weighted blanket, which does feel good. Is it as good? Yeah. Is it as good as, as marketed? Um... I feel like I haven't used it enough to, well, I first put it on the bed and slept under it, but then I was like, I want this in my anti-anxiety chamber. So when I feel anxious, I can just go in there. And so I carried it, which is really awkward because it's like, oh, 20 pounds, that's nothing. But (laughs) it's all like floppy and weird and it feels like really awkward to carry around. And so now I just left it in my closet, but it feels good. Functional odd object carrying that's some straight out of OG CrossFit stuff. Come on, you got to overhead press that like 20 times. <laughs> it's kind of like carrying a dead body, like a really yeah. light, emaciated dead body. Not like I oh would my know. Goodness. Yeah, no, I listen I mean, to a lot of true crime. Side. I listen to a lot of true crime, which I was doing <laughs> right before we did this. So, uh-huh. um, I just have it in my closet now, and it does feel really good. It feels really good, it feels like a comforting pressure on you. I like it. I think it's really interesting. This, I love that you're calling it a chamber. That makes it so much fun. I don't know why. (laughs) I think that's just really fun. But I I think there's a lot of 
people who could benefit from literally creating a space that others can't invade, especially under quarantine. You know, I'm, and I'm thinking about not just people who suffer with anxiety, but people who have a lot of people in their house. Like, yeah, I realized the other day, I have not been alone since oh. March. Oh, and God. I didn't realize how used to a certain amount of alone time I'd become, you know, because with yeah. husband at work and child at school, it was like, I would get this block of time a day and it disappeared. And I, I hadn't really realized why I was so keyed up. I was like, oh, and I actually went and sat in my car the other day. And it made me think of a client of mine who one of her things that she's really struggled to overcome is this need for space. She's got two kids and a husband and a house. But her thing was she would suddenly crave Taco Bell or Starbucks or a drive through And when we really dug into it, it wasn't those things she was craving she just needed to be alone in her car and it was providing a destination oh yeah and an excuse to get in her car and go somewhere I mean I defy oh sorry go ahead (laughs) no that's okay I mean it's it's interesting how creative we'll be to find that alone time even before COVID yeah I defy oh yeah no she's done this for years (laughs) I defy anyone to not recall sometime when they went to the target parking lot a target any target parking lot and didn't either be the person who just like parks and sits in their car for like 20 minutes before they go in or notice there's someone totally lounging in their car obviously just hanging out in their car for like 20 minutes half hour 45 minutes i think was my longest yeah. Just because you just know they're trying, they need their anti-anxiety chamber and a car, well, for me, when a car is not moving, it can be that. When a car's moving, yes. that is my anxiety chamber. <laughs> <laughs> this Especially is like we've been else is driving. Everyone ha- uses the Target parking lot to go hang out and sit in their chamber and just be alone and hopefully watch people. Compression. Isn't decompression. It? Ideally, you have tinted windows. I do not. I wish to God I had tinted windows. Oh, <laughs> I would just love to sit there and watch people. Oh, that feels good. Yeah. I mean, I think these are all totally natural tendencies that if you live in a big city or in a house full of people that you can't escape, it's like actually a physical need. And it does have a massive impact on your food choices. I think this is the thing people need to keep in mind when we talk randomly about life events or mm-hmm. things that seem completely unrelated to nutrition the reality relates. is you know especially taking this other client of mine as an example like it was physically literally affecting her calorie intake you know mm-hmm. like her yeah. way of coping with not having a decompression chamber of some kind or any space for herself it was forcing her out the door to a drive through you know it was a double double reward yeah. As far as her brain was concerned, Absolutely. you know. It's like I need a reward for even existing in my this. life right now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. And I, you know, there's so much power in challenging and manipulating your coping mechanisms. You know, like if you can identify them and recognize them. And, and I can remember the day where she was like, oh, this is why I go to Taco Bell. She's like, I don't actually miss the nachos. She said that one day. She's like, I don't miss the nachos. I'm just going to, I'm going to sit in my car. And so we actually found a different parking lot. It wasn't a Target. 
but she she found a different parking lot that she would just go drive to because having the destination was a key part of the escape of the decompression yeah, you don't want to sit in your car where like a kid could come out and be like mom in the driveway right or yeah. just like and like you say moving vehicles are not decompression chambers well so, unless you live in the country okay there are times when i okay. can actually decompress because I can go escape into the more countryish area, and yeah, then you just fair. worry about hitting a deer or something. <laughs> that deer is not then unstressed. Oh, but, God. I mean, this is the this is the interesting thing about this whole process is when people start to shift their mentality towards not hyper focusing on food choice and focusing on lifestyle management. Food choices just get so much easier. God. That, you know, repeat all that. That was worth repeating. Repeat it. Ugh, repeat you know, I'm terrible it. at repeating stuff. Well, just repeat the idea of it. That was like really good, I'm going to say. Okay. What did I even say? Damn it. See, I'm terrible <laughs> at repeating stuff. This is why we record it because yeah. I never say well, it twice. I think basically once you stop hyper-focusing on food and you focus on your lifestyle choices just as a whole collective, a holistic thing, something like that. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's definitely, yeah, that's definitely what I said. Totally, Liz. <laughs> well, okay. That is a perfect segue into what I want to talk about because I kind of did that a little bit. I experimented. I Ooh. put on my scientist uh, coat. Yes, that's what they wear. I almost said hat. I'm like, Scientists don't really wear hats. Maybe they the should. I mean, maybe like something to prevent their hair from falling into beakers. Yeah. Yeah. So I put on my experiment coat and last week, now into this week, um, I decided, okay, so I take pictures of my food because I am, I've been a constant calorie count counter for like, 10 years and then working with Chris through PN nutrition, I now have just taken the next right step, which is the, the little bit, a little bit better for me. And I'm just taking pictures of my food daily using an app instead of obsessively calorie counting. Right. But and I just want to clarify mm -hmm. for people that yeah. counting calories inherently is not necessarily bad but again it's like any tool it's how you use it like if you're using a screwdriver to punch a hole in the wall like <laughs> you probably should find a different tool and that's sort of why we decided to shift this for you it wasn't because inherently counting calories is evil and you shouldn't do it yes it good just point. it wasn't working for you the way you wanted it to and it's still, it still hasn't been because even though I've been just taking pictures of my food, I've been mentally calorie counting all throughout the day <laughs> because I've been calorie counting so long that I really can look at something and be like, that's about this many calories. Um, of course, right. we could always make arguments for like, broke up, stop, dick, dick of a cat. Um, we can always make arguments for like, well, calorie counting, it's not that accurate, blah, 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 whatever. I've been doing it for a long time. It's comfortable. And it's comfortable. It makes me feel safe because even if I'm not getting the results, even, even if I'm quote unquote overeating, I have this 
idea of control because I'm like, well, I'm aware that I'm overeating. So that makes yeah. me feel in control and safe, even though I'm not doing the thing that I want to be doing that feels right. So uh, mostly I've been continuing. This is how long sometimes, you know, the process can be. Your cat is totally looking for trouble. Look at her. Give me that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought for sure she was going up onto the next thing on the wall. That's why I was like pointing. I'm like, ah, that cat's going to kill things. Roka, seriously, every freaking time I try to podcast. It's adorable. Mine so, are like sleeping in the other room, like whoever. Can you just talk all day. Shut up. <laughs> We're sick of hearing you. Um, no, but what you're what you're describing though is is really really critical because when yeah. we want to affect change, we want to be able to control something about yeah. it. Yeah, right? so and I'm all about control. Obvious, but calories seem like the obvious thing to control. Obviously, they do because they're the in a kind of the easiest thing to control. Well, well, it appears that way, oh, but the reality is, right? It's like you alluded to, calorie counting is actually unfortunately highly inaccurate for so many reasons and it might be yeah. worth delving into that um yeah. and again like i'm saying i'm not against calorie counting at all i'm not saying you shouldn't do it and i'm saying that you know done well it can help you really dial in your end zone nutrition you know when you're looking to get down to those lower body fat percentages tracking your food and counting macros or calories or um, however you want to split that up, having a really rigid system is the way to go. Yeah. However, um, it's based off of a good foundation of understanding what your body needs and how it asks for food and how you respond to that. And I think this is where calorie counting gets in the way because you're not a bomb calorimeter. And if, if people don't know what a bomb calorimeter is, it's basically like they assess and decide how many calories are in food by blowing it up or lighting it on fire and watching how long it burns for, which would be fun. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but it doesn't have anything to do with how your body actually processes food, right? You do yeah. not light food on fire when you put it in your mouth. I mean, again, <laughs> fun thought experiment, but that's not I what mean, happens. Clipe, clipe Suzette. Yeah, right. That's lit You'll on fire before. Face. So when you actually look at how your body digests food, like learning about that process is hugely, hugely important to understanding why calorie counting is inaccurate from yeah. the physiology perspective. But then you also have the, the science perspective of like packaging of food and recipes that are used to make food. Like there's inconsistencies in those things inherently. And so the there's no fixed number of calories that are exactly in every piece of chicken or broccoli yeah. and, or whatever. And certain foods, which <laughs> I feel embarrassed to admit that this blew my mind after so long of calorie counting, but I was like, oh, certain foods take a lot more energy and calories to digest than mm. other foods. So basically you're burning more calories when you're digesting this food versus that food. Yeah. Like AKA that, fiber. Yeah. And right, I was that's like, what you're talking oh, about. and I remember asking you at some point because you don't, you don't realize, okay, we all think with the diet and fitness industry, we all think that we're probably experts at it by now. It's like, I get it. Calories in calories out. Okay. <laughs> but no, that is as somewhat like, come on. I, I thought that I was, I had my freaking dreams smashed or whatever I my mirror what's a good metaphor for something you believe and you're like I know this but you know 
A, a metaphor. metaphor. Whatever. It's a metaphor, metaphor on the spot. God, that's usually yeah. my strong point. Why really? did I, I love I love metaphors. Yeah, they are. Usually I'm pretty good at that too. Whatever. So my mirror was smashed. I don't know. Is that good? No, whatever. No. Your, so, your house of cards came tumbling down. My house of cards did come tumbling down and it was about as structurally fit as a house of cards, apparently, because I remember asking you like, wait, wait, Chris. So like two people could eat the exact same amount of calories, but one is like consuming, you know, a lot of highly processed, not very nutritiously dense food and the other one's consuming like a shit amount of like vegetables and fruit and like good protein blah 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 and I was like and their body compositions can you know what would that look completely different yeah Yeah. and it's weird because I'm like no 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 with my understanding they're consuming the same amount of calories so they should be this well it gets worse it gets worse like let's say you ate exactly the same meal as another person like exact same amount of broccoli, exact same amount of chicken, exact same amount of rice, your two bodies will absorb different amounts of those calories. God damn it. Because so, I mean, I, I, but what about for all the people who are like, but I paid someone a lot of money <laughs> to basically just tell me what they eat so I could look like right. them. Does that, well, does that not work? Can I just not look sometimes. at a YouTube video and be all like, I'm just going to eat what this person eats and look like them magically? I wish it was that simple. I God. really do. I mean, A, I wouldn't have a job if that was, if it was that simple because <laughs> all of these other things would work, you know? But the reason that they don't work is because your system is highly individualized. And, you know, it's I have a friend, this is totally potentially an overshare, but I'm going to talk about it because... Um, it's really important to understand your digestive process. And her son had been having years of issues digestively where where he would randomly eat something, right? That previously he had eaten and, and it was fine and he would just throw up. And so she went through all of these possibilities of what it could be that was making him sick. Is he allergic to artificial colors? Is he allergic mm-hmm. to a specific preservative in foods. Oh, it seems to only be when he eats junk food. Okay. Well, and this is a woman who literally cooks every single meal her family eats. Like they, I can't ever think of a time they went out to eat ever. Okay. So it's, it, and she's a pretty good cook. Like my kid goes over there and is always like, oh, Jen made this really amazing dinner. And it's not about that. It was about within this family unit, the food choices he was making actually led him to be chronically constipated. To the degree that he was just finally in the last six weeks, he said something to his mom along the lines of like, mom, I just always feel bad. I don't know why. I just always feel bad. I'm tired. I don't feel good. And then somehow randomly, she and I had been talking about poop and she decided to ask him when the last time he went poop was. And he was like, oh, I don't know. And so she started tracking it. She realized um, he was pooping once every four days. they took him for an x-ray and he was so backed up it's taken six weeks for them to get things rolling again like quite literally and he's been housebound for a week or two trying to rebalance this and so you know her two other children who eat the exact same food are perfectly fine Hmm. it was just his particular system was not responding well to the variety of foods he was choosing and he didn't know how his digestive system worked. He wasn't aware that he should be having a reasonable quality dump every single day, at least once. 
So what did they adjust? What did he adjust? Well, initially it was about clearing him out, right? Because he yeah. was so backed up. I mean, it showed up on an x-ray. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. And so this is the thing when it, again, and I'm bringing it, bring it back to calorie counting really quickly. Like if you're focused on calories in calories out and you're not focused on fiber or nutrient content or any of the quality of the things that you're eating, you can be generating all sorts of side effects. And if you're yeah. not paying attention to not just what goes in, but also what comes out, uh, you potentially have an issue in your system. You're not paying attention to, which is why two people can eat exactly the same meal and not absorb the same amount of it, Yeah, right? I mean, wow. that's one reason. There's another 12 we could talk about. Um, <laughs> but it's like, again, and people don't like to talk about poop and it's a problem because if we don't address how things are coming out, then we can't assess what's actually happening on the inside, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's quite a scary thing. When Pay you... attention to your poop, everyone. Seriously. Yeah, seriously. There's a chart. There's there a literal a... poop chart. If you're not sure and you have concerns that maybe your situation is not like optimal, there's a chart. Just Google precision nutrition poop chart. I think it's even called. Oh, I'm going to do that <laughs> right after this. I mean, and it's like, yeah. And you'll find yourself spending a little too much time potentially focused on it at that point, but it's maybe for the best because you can decide like, Hey, how is my diet actually affecting me? Yeah. Okay. So let's, uh, let's sign off. Uh, thank yeah. you for joining us on, uh, I almost said precision nutrition. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Deconstructing health and fitness with Chris Wilkins. Um, we're going to continue this. This is, oh, there's some fruitful things here. Everyone, yes, uh, a, Google this your is the good go shit. This is the good shit right here. We should just rename this podcast The Good Shit. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Bye. Bye, Liz. Hey, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And I hope that today's episode made you think a little bit about how you could apply some of what we're talking about to yourself and your behaviors and let us know if you find any of it meaningful. Make sure to tune in for the next episode where we will continue to have somewhat circular conversations that may be helpful. They will be. They will be helpful. <laughs> it's what you take away from them. Wow. Right. The more you know.